0: Um, so how many people have, have been following the Asbury uh, revival? Are you, are you aware of that? Okay. Uh, I encourage everyone to kind of look that up and uh, kind of look at that. It's been in the national news as well. So um, it's really something to pray into and to really kind of join and be part of. This is uh, what I think is going to be an extraordinary move of God. So what I'd like to do, is, if I could, um, and I apologize ahead of time for uh, putting you on the spot, Sharcy, but... If you would, please come forward. I want you to share the word that the Lord gave you related to this revival because I think it's really significant and it'll be an encouragement to uh, all of us as well. So, um, And, and Sharcy has been with the Harvest, I mean, all the way back to the very, very beginning. She was down, hooked up with Ralph Messer, and uh, that's how we kind of encountered uh, each other and began a friendship. And she's been with the Harvest ever since, and she's a strong, strong prophetic voice and has been used by God in significant ways in years gone by. And now uh, this is another great, significant move of God that I think uh, we have a chance to kind of ride that wave. And so, uh, Sharcy, you had a word um, just a couple days ago, and I want you to just share the essence of that with us and encourage us with that.
1: What a pleasure. Amen. We came into that wave 50 years ago. So I was just sitting with him, and he said, ask me now for everything. So I wrote to Mark and to others and said, ask now. The window of heaven is open in an unusual way. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your church. Pray for your country. Pray for deliverance. Pray for healing. Pray for everything. Pray now.
0: Yes, hold on to that mic. So yeah, that's exactly right. And when she, when she shared that word, I, I just sensed the Lord was saying, you know what, um, you, need to pray, you need to pray because I'm nearer. And we, we had a little exchange on that whole idea of what that means. I mean, sometimes God hides himself, right? Some God, sometimes God leaves his people due to their sinfulness. We see that in uh, uh, the prophet Ezekiel and his writings where God withdraws from his people, right? And so I really think what the Lord's saying is, look, I'm doing something. I'm here now. Ask me anything. Ask me everything. Because when God is near, we have favor with him. And so if you're needing, you know, prayer in your life, you have needs in your life, or even greater than that, in the community, in your neighborhood, in your nation, right? Right ask now intercede now this is the season in which i really believe through prayer and intercession we could see some remarkable changes in our nation isn't that true charcy
1: i spent about a year in isaiah i just crawled through it and you know isaiah cried out to the people repent turn and he listed all their sins over and over and their ears were completely hardened and at the end i wish i recorded mark where it was but finally God said, yes, Isaiah, they're pitiful, they've apostatized, they're adulterous, they can't hear, and their hearts are completely hard. So I will bring repentance. I will bring repentance. If that's not the condition of our nation and our hearts, but God. And to move now at this hour. (laughs) So I would just encourage you, ask He's close, and he's moving, and the heaven, windows of heaven are open.
0: Amen. Thank you, Sharsi. Thank you very Thank much. You. All right, so we're in a series on the Beatitudes, and this is part two in my series, and I've entitled it, um, Blessed Are Those Who Grieve. And so that's going to be our first slide, Blessed Are Those Who Grieve. So the eight Beatitudes that we find in the book of Matthew are essential keys to the kingdom of heaven. We talk about heaven all the time, right? Everyone's preoccupied about heaven, you know? We tend to think of that being the goal because that's where the presence of God is. And yet God is saying, hey, heaven's coming to earth. I'm coming to the earth. In fact, Jesus says, "Pray when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus brought the kingdom 2,000 years ago, and it's been growing like a mustard seed. And these are some of the keys to the kingdom, how we can enter in and find a place and operate in the realm of God's rule and reign, the compassionate, merciful rule and reign of God. So these beatitudes are, again, essential keys to the kingdom of heaven and its associated blessings. So, if you're hungry for meaning and purpose, peace and joy, these are the corridors that lead to them. So, let's look at the next or number two in the eight Beatitudes. Blessed are those who grieve. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, slide 66. There we go. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. So let's think about that for a minute. Happier are those who are crying. Happier are those that are depressed, are grieving. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. At face value, it's almost a contradiction. But yet Jesus says, "Blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted." Let's look at this word "mourn" in the Greek. What does it mean? It literally means to grieve. Or lament by giving expression to those feelings. So when when you have something that shakes you enough to where you are compelled to express that through through wailing and weeping and crying, that's where we get this term to mourn. It actually uh, carries the idea of expressing deep heart-wrenching pain and grief. And Jesus is saying to those who groan, to those who wail in their trial, in their pain, in their suffering, they shall be comforted. Now, I think we all are pretty much aware of the shortest verse in the Bible. Anyone know what that is? Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And that gives us some insight to what he's talking about here. You know, um, it's really hard to understand this passage if you haven't experienced any really deep and profound pain and suffering. And so getting kind of this insight from Jesus and what he experienced helps us to understand while we can have hope in the midst of crisis. So let's look at the context of this passage, Jesus wept. It's found in the story of Lazarus. Turn with me. Let's look at this story. It's the story of Lazarus that we find Jesus weeping. And why? Why is Jesus weeping? Is it because his friend died? Is that the reason? Think about this for a moment. I want us to think through who Jesus is. He is God with us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he shall rise again. He shall live again. For Jesus, this is nothing. Lazarus is going to rise. He knows that. You know, we, we, we weep for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It'll come even quicker for Jesus in this occasion. And yet, Jesus is repped to the depths of his soul. Why? Let's jump into the story. John 11, 1 through 44. And let me preface this story. I want you to keep your antennas up and look for this concept of love because it's love that gives way to grief. It's love that gives a platform for groaning and travailing in great sorrow. Without this context of love, we really don't grieve. We don't have any reason to grieve. And grief is important. It's an important part of life. It's connected to loving. If, if you think about it, that's why we grieve, right? And, and we're coming. I was talking to Pastor Shana earlier this week, and she was saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, both Shayna and Justin are in a master's program. And so they're studying theology. So I get to work with them all the time. I, I just love the dialogue. But she was saying that in some of her research uh, on this, um, she was discovering that this idea of grief is only part of this world. And this world is so short. It's here and it's gone. Just like that. Our lives are like a vapor, right? We're here and we're gone. And then we have all of eternity. It's never ending. And, and the particular person that she was uh, studying uh, on this concept of grief was was saying, um, we always want to get, we, we want to bypass grief if we can. And if we can't, we want to move through it as quickly as we can. Because who wants to grieve, right? And he says, actually, grief is something we should embrace. Something that we should spend time in. Something that is worthwhile. Because it gives us this connection with Jesus that we would never have without it. We all want to know the power of the resurrection. But like Paul said, how many people want to know the fellowship of his sufferings? So you can't know the fellowship of his sufferings unless you have suffered. So suffering gives us the ability to know things about Jesus we would never know. Never know. And grief is something we can only do in this life. Because in the life to come, there will be no more grieving. So why rush it? why not embrace it? In the end, it's like a priceless pearl, really, that has a work within us in terms of our character that will resound for all eternity. So this is a big deal. John 11, 1 through 44. Now, a certain man was sick, and Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. the 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 author here makes this point to clarify who Mary is, because there's many Marys in the first century, and there's numerous Marys, of course, surrounding uh, the disciples and so forth. And so the author is very. Uh, intent in helping the reader understand who this Mary is. She's the one who's the outcast, the big sinner, if you will, who comes in and bows at Jesus's feet and she weeps and washes his feet with her tears and her hair. She's a broken vessel, right? We talked about this last week and because of her brokenness and her awareness of her own shortcomings, she comes because she knows in Jesus she has the hope of redemption And, of course, that's what she finds, and it transforms her life. So this Mary, who loved much versus those who love little because they think their sins are little because they're not aware of their sins, Mary is, and her love for Jesus was so great. It led her to that place of trusting him for forgiveness, and she found that in him. This is the Mary who um, is, is the brother of Lazarus. Verse 3, so the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he, him or he whom you love is sick. There, there's, there's another snapshot of this concept of love. You have Mary, the one who loves Jesus so much, her brother's sick. And her brother, by the way, is one of those whom Jesus loved. He makes the point again, and he's going to build on it, that it's out of this love that we find this context for grieving. But Jesus, when he heard this, he said, this sickness is not to the end in death, is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified by it. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that make any sense? He loves Martha. He loves Mary. He loves Lazarus. He's sick. He's gonna die. He's not just sick. He's sick, sick. Okay. There, there's the sick that we get with with whatever the flu or whatever, right? And then there's that sickness that everyone realizes. I think this person's gonna die. Yeah, Lazarus is gonna die. They send word to Jesus, and because he loves Lazarus, he decides to postpone his 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 uh, coming to him. It's crazy. If you love him, you would come immediately. He's going to die. Jesus, what are you doing? And of course, their faith that he could heal them is great. Their faith that he can raise them from the dead, not so great. And that's why he stays. Because he wants to expand their faith. He's late. He comes four days late. You ever been late for something? Yeah, he comes late, and because he's late, the person dies. But he does that because he loves him. It doesn't make sense till we get down to the story. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Now, do you think Lazarus is sleeping? No, we already know he's dead. We know that from the text. Jesus refers to that state of being dead as asleep. He uses the the metaphor, asleep. And and they're really confused about this. Let's read on. The disciple said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Everyone wakes up. My kids, every morning they wake up. I wake up. Don wakes up. The dog wakes up. Everything's going to be okay. Lazarus, if he's sleeping, will wake up. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. You know, they're missing everything he's trying to say to them, it's like, they're not getting it. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now we call that dead, dead. There's dead and there's dead, dead, right? This is going to be a significant miracle because there's already been people that were raised from the dead. You know, they might have died for 12 hours or maybe a day. But see, when you pass the third day in the ancient world, you're beyond resurrection. Okay. You're, you're, you're dead, dead. So you're without hope. So this is one of these great, great miracles that are going to take place. That's going to trigger so much faith in so many people. So many people are going to get saved as a result of this four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary, Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was the point. They wanted him to come. They knew he could heal them, but they had no faith that he had greater power, enough power to resurrect him. So now they're, of course, in despair. Even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that. Had you been here, though, his life would have been prolonged. That's basically what she's saying. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She doesn't really answer his question. Shifts gears, if you will. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw Mary, got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So you've got an entourage. You've got a group now that's coming with her. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. Why? Not because Lazarus had died. That was not what triggered the pain in his heart. He was going to raise Lazarus. Lazarus is going to be fine. Jesus is not weeping for Lazarus directly. What's happened is he sees Mary whom he loves and her brokenness as she weeps for her brother and then the others around her weeping for her loss. And Jesus is shaken by that. He's troubled. When he sees the ones he loves in pain, it moves his heart. He has this ability to empathize because of the very things he had suffered and was going to suffer. Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And here's our verse. Jesus wept. He didn't he didn't shed a tear or two. Jesus, like them, broke down, troubled in his spirit, and he wept. Probably, you know, we could, we, we could translate that. He wailed. He grieved. He broke down with them and expressed passionate sorrow, that, that which we would call grief. John 11, 36 through 37. So the Jews were seeing, see how he loved him. Notice the connection between love and grief. You grieve because you love. If you love little, you grieve little. When I was a little boy, I was I was maybe five years old, maybe, maybe younger. And my grandmother had died. And I went to the I was at the funeral uh, with our family. And, um, Catholic church and, and she, it's a open caskets and I'm sitting back a couple rows back with my cousins and everyone's crying. I kept looking around thinking, why is everyone crying? So I got up and I started going around. I, I went up to my cousins. I said, why are you crying? And they would say, grandma's dead. And they'd point, you know, and, and I knew she was dead. I didn't really understand that, you know? Um, but I kept going around to different people and they would quietly tell me because grandma's dead. And I did, I asked a number of people and they let me, they let me kind of walk around and ask. I, I, I think people didn't know what to do at that point. Um, I didn't grieve. And the reason I didn't grieve is because I really hadn't developed the capacity to really love my grandma because I didn't really know her. And I was so young anyway. And so it didn't really have that jolt in my heart that it had in so many hearts that day. It's love and our ability to love, our capability to love that gives us this beautiful gift called grief. And they saw that in Jesus. They didn't say, oh, look how hard he's crying. They said, look how much he loved. Verses 38 through 39. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved from within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. You know, we see the movies, we get these pictures in our mind even, you know. The story is, is highly edited. All, all, all the stories in the Bible, highly edited. There's so much more than what we read. If, if you would include the time uh, between where he's with Mary and weeping with her, and then when they move towards the tomb, you have, you have you have time elements that are taking place in which nothing's recorded about about those scenarios. But we often get this picture of Jesus shedding a, a tear or two, and then, then he walks over and he's like, "Lazarus, rise." No, Jesus is probably coughing, choking. You know, when you're w- really wailing, man, that's like that's like you don't do much, and he probably kind of got his composure and then he's walking towards the, the place, and as he's getting there, he starts to weep and wail again, you know? And there's there's moments of just this deep uh, grief that's being expressed, and everyone's just standing there before he even speaks to Lazarus. It says, Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. For he has been dead for four days. They did not embalm people. So by the fourth day, uh, his body was breaking down. And uh, so Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it. So that they may believe that you sent me. 34 or 43 through 44. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, or to them, Unbind him and let him go can you imagine the turn of events i mean people went from this this horrible gut-wrenching pain and within seconds all of that is just stopped and it's tracks and turned on a dime and the overwhelming joy must have just broke forth you know it's it's not recorded here but you know exactly what would have happened seeing their brother seeing him restored they're they're unbinding him they're like he stinks but we love him you know hug him anyway you know we'll all take a bath later or whatever but the joy that day and that resurrection would have been Historic in every sense of the word. Amazing when you think about it. Which brings us back to Matthew 5 and verse 4. Where Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Why? For they shall be comforted. Why? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. So whatever it is that you're grieving about. Just know that's all going to be turned around. Just know that when I return, I'm going to wipe every tear away. I'm going to heal every hurt. And I'm going to turn your mourning into dancing. And it will never, ever again be this way. Never. So for the believer, blessed are those who grieve. Know that in your grief is transitory. You can stamp that temporary it will pass away and joy will come so that we don't grieve like others grieve. We don't grieve like the lost to have no hope. You know, when you lose a loved one, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a child, when you lose someone and you have no hope to ever see them again, what a hell that is in terms of life. But for the believer, we know That the one that we believe in is the resurrection and the life. And when we lose someone dear to us, when that pain is overwhelming, it's softened and the edge is taken off because we know it's only temporary. I will see my dad again. I will see my mom again. I will see my child again, right? Because for us, death is not the end. And that's why Jesus can say, blessed are those who are grieving, for they shall be comforted. And when he returns, he will do that. In the meantime, we have a taste of it. Even in our losses, the grief is tempered with his peace and his love and the assurance that we will once again see our loved ones. Hallelujah. Shabbat shalom.